welcome back to Let's Unpack That, your favorite weekly podcast where politically engaged millennials unpack world events through the lens of anxiety, depression, and a stunning lack of expertise. I'm your host, Paul Warren, and I'm so excited to be here. I can't believe that we're on season three, to be honest. And I have to be honest also that there is no such thing as seasons anymore because we have taken two month breaks. We have taken six month breaks. Uh, This most recent one was about six months, Um, but we are happy to be back. Uh, We are about one year away um, from the 2022 midterms, which sounds insane to say. We're actually less than that. We're 11 months away from the 2022 midterms. So we felt like it was time to bring back the podcast, start talking about politics and start unpacking topics that are most important to us. But without further ado, for today's episode, our panel of of experts, very excited to introduce them to you. You know them, you love them, especially this one. The only thing receding further than the ozone layer is his 31-year-old hairline. He's the sound editor you know and love, Andrew Nagy. Welcome back to the podcast. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Oh, I'm, I'm going to blame it on global warming. <laughs> and we thought he'd be fired for season three, but just like Davina from Selling Sunset, he's back into our life faster than the Omicron variant. He's your pop culture expert who has nothing else to bring. Kirk Wilson, welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> um, and she was recently dethroned with the number one episode of this podcast. She's the only POC on this POD. Erica Ellis, welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> I can't even say that. <laughs> what kills me is you announce it like this is some WWE style situation and I'm about to like fly off the ropes. Oh my God. Well, That's so not cool. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to edit that one out, but we'll see how the audience reacts. Ladies, gentlemen, everyone in between and outside, welcome back to Let's Unpack That. We are super excited for today's episode. Uh, We are going to specifically keep this episode focused on some recent headlines that hopefully provide some context to some things you're seeing on Twitter, on Instagram. Hopefully none of you are on Facebook anymore because that app is basically just a right-wing propaganda machine. But um, we're excited to unpack a couple headlines for this week's episode. Um, And as we go throughout the course of season three, the episodes are going to vary between covering headlines and covering specific topics. So uh, more to come on that. And if you have any ideas for topics, feel free to send them in. Uh, You can just send me a DM at It's Paul Warren on Instagram. Uh, Let's jump in to headlines. Um, And I will kick it off with the person that I unfortunately read the hardest. Um, Andrew, what is your headline for the week? And first, let me say I apologize. No, that's okay. I've I've come to terms with my advancing age and impending death, (laughs) which is probably a good thing, actually, um, that I will expire soon because I don't really want to be around for the destruction of our nation as heralded by (laughs) the headline I have, which is from December 4th. This is from the Daily Beast. White supremacists stage bizarro rally in downtown DC. So this is a group called Patriot Front um, that I I don't think gets enough media attention. 
Um, they splintered off from another white nationalist group called Vanguard America, which is itself part of a, no- a larger coalition of white nationalist groups that all took part in the Unite the Right rally, which was sort of like the high watermark for these white nationalists, white supremacist, neo-Nazi groups in America. And of course, Unite the Right rally, that whole thing ended in tragedy. A number of people got injured. Uh, One woman was murdered by a white nationalist named James Alex Fields, who was a part of Vanguard America. And then there was all this infighting. People went to jail. Um, The whole movement kind of broke up a little bit. And that was a good thing, but these groups haven't gone away. And they're starting to come back now. And Patriot Front has actually been doing more and more things out in public, staging protests, staging marches. Uh, They were in Philadelphia back before July 4th, if you remember. It was a small Mm -hmm. group. But they actually – they they wear a uniform when you see them. So they're all in these khaki pants and boots and these navy blazers or uh, windbreakers or whatever and white face coverings, real on brand. And they march around with these little shields. They kind of look like fucking fascist nerds. But I don't think it should be taken too lightly, even though it's fun to make a ton of fun of these people because they're fucking idiots. Um, Also, they show up in rented U-Haul vans to these things and like all pile out. They have video on their (laughs) website of them doing this. They think they're like really fucking cool. But what's hilarious is they didn't plan it correctly down in D.C. and they didn't have enough U-Haul vans to get people back to wherever they came from. So they were like standing in this traffic circle for hours making multiple trips to this one U-Haul van, like ferrying these fucking idiots back and forth. But anyway, the whole point of the reason why they were there is because they want to, quote, reclaim America. And there's a whole history of what that means, and we won't get into it all. But basically, they think that America is being overtaken by un-American and anti-Western groups of people and interests. So to them, that means, um, you know, the southern border invasion, all these all these illegals getting piled into our nation and anyone who is not white Christian of Western heritage. Uh, so, you know, most of the people on this podcast um, are polluting and diluting America. Um, and on, I mean, they have a, a, a website. You can go to it. Like they're, they're not hiding any of this stuff. Of course, they're not going to call themselves Nazis. They're not going to call themselves fascists, but you have to read between the lines of all this stuff. I mean, their manifesto page is super long, but it's really telling who they have as, as quotes that you have these inspirational quotes on this page, you know, who they have. It's gotta be Reagan or Reagan or Nixon, right? Oh no, 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 no. We're even worse than that. And it it goes, (laughs) it's all these, it's founding fathers, but it's really telling like they have a quote from Andrew Jackson and a whole section that pertains to that quote. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, of course, um, who is controversial, but did own slaves. Uh, Robert E. Lee, noted founding father, of course. (laughs) The two that really stand out to me on this page are Henry Ford and Charles Lindbergh. And I don't think most people know this, but Henry Ford 
was a Nazi sympathizer to the point where he's actually mentioned by name twice in Mein Kampf. And Heinrich Himmler himself described Ford as one of the most valuable, important, and witty fighters. The book The International Jew is a book that is a collection of Ford's articles that he wrote in his anti-Semitic like conspiracy theory paper that he published. So that's all like whitewashed history. Like nobody knows this about Henry Ford and Charles Lindbergh was a friend of Henry Ford. Now Charles Lindbergh was a lot more careful about the things he said in public and danced around the issue of anti-Semitism and whether he sympathized with the Nazis, but there have, you know, there is good circumstantial evidence that he actually was anti-Semitic and did sympathize with the Nazis. And the quote that Patriot Front has from him on their webpage is, we can have peace and security only so long as we band together to preserve that most priceless possession, our inheritance of European blood, only so long as we guard ourselves against attack by foreign armies and delusion by foreign races. This one quote from Charles Lindbergh, noted American hero, that if you were to ask almost anyone in America if Charles Lindbergh is like an icon of what it means to be American, they would say absolutely yes. Like he is, you know, one of the heroic sons of this country. I think that quote sums up exactly what this group is about and what this whole movement is about. And they they failed in 2017 with the Unite the Right rally, but they're coming back. And it's not that long ago that that happened. So they're gaining steam again and they're starting to do these things. And they're not getting that much media attention. Uh, other than this Daily Beast article, there's really not that many articles written about this rally. And this was in our nation's capital. I mean, we had a full-on insurrection not that long ago. I think to your point, Andrew, like this is not being publicized enough. Like the the, the fact that like, you know, people are obsessing over the Build Back Better plan failing and, and, you know, like people not voting for it and we're stuck on the filibuster and we're stuck on voting rights. Like it's like all of those things are so extremely important. But like there are groups actively funding Republican elected officials. And there are groups that are actively trying to like degrade democracy in front of us. And I don't think that the Daily Beast is like, you know, the most popular publication that could be talking about this. And I don't think that like there's enough trust in in mainstream media for it to be taken seriously right now. But like, yes, that's why we need voting rights. Yes, that's why we need the Build Back Better bill. Like that's why we need these things. But when we're talking about these issues, when we're talking about these policies, we're not talking about the fact that like the reason we need some of these things is because there's a white supremacist uprising. Like even just the name itself, like Patriot Front, does it mean like they're a front for patriots because they're white supremacists? <laughs> like is that like they're, they're, they're supposed to be front lines? But like what? Like what? A, what a terrible branding decision, you know? Like it, it's a total front for for patriotism, you know. Um, but Paul, I'm gonna say there's about zero marketing degrees in that entire group. I don't think they have an agency on record, but <laughs> <laughs> if you're hiring, <laughs> I, I just I think the bottom line here is this is exactly what happened in the lead up to the Unite the Right rally in 2017, where people did not take these groups seriously. And there was even debate 
in right-wing media when it was brought up it's like oh well they're not saying they're white supremacists they're not saying they're fascists or neo-nazis but i mean the group names patriot front nationalist front vanguard america v dare which is named after supposedly the first white child born in america like they're telling you what they're doing and we're ignoring it and it's going to happen again and unite the right was bad enough one woman lost her life and was tragically murdered but the next time is going to be worse absolutely going to be worse i don't know that there's a nice cute button to put on this story other than just something that we should keep watching yeah just keep an eye on it educate yeah and keep sharing stuff about it because like if we have to be our own media, if we have to share our own stories, like that's kind of what we have to do. You know, it, it's so frustrating. Uh, my headline is also about the media this week, though. Um, and, and I think that most people are familiar with it, but it, it's just more of a reflection. I feel like not that I'm sharing any earth shattering news, but uh, mine is about the Cuomo brothers <laughs> because. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so frustrated. So you have Andrew Cuomo, right? Who like is notorious for years. You can go back two decades and you can see that he was abusive to his staff. Chris Cuomo, you know, you can see that like, yeah, he was like a talented anchor on CNN. Like, I don't think anybody can deny that that man was like a, 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 a good television personality. Although uh, very clearly he's not the most ethical journalist. Um, But at this point, um, you know, both of them have been accused of sexual misconduct and in some cases, um, far more egregious versions of sexual misconduct. Um, Both of them, you know, have violated oaths of their office or ethics of journalism. Um, And I think that um, one thing I'm happy to see, at least um, in this discourse, is that CNN is not giving severance pay to Chris Cuomo, which it would have been like, a multi-million dollar payout. Um, They're also, you know, like Andrew Cuomo is pretty much like disgraced now. I can't imagine him ever running again, yet Donald Trump was also our last president. Um, You know, but but I think the reason I wanted to talk about this headline is because, and I'm sure some, if not all of the four of us had this thought at the beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, when Andrew Cuomo was on TV every day doing his PowerPoint presentations. He was talking about COVID. He he felt like one of the few people that was taking COVID seriously. And it was just like in the absence of a leader, we were and and and, and before we had all started following scientists and epidemiologists on, on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram, like we were looking at Chris Cuomo being like, wow, it's at least nice to get some updates here. Um, and I think that that snowballed into us having like high trust in somebody who very clearly was not a good person um, and us having high trust in his brother as well, because then the two of them got on TV and and just, you know, jerked each other off left and right. And, and like, it was like a big fun family reunion every week where they got to just like be these like national superstars because they weren't Donald Trump. And I, 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 I'm not, you know, at all like somebody who, who bashes the media or thinks there's no trust in the media. Um, I, I very much appreciate that CNN took the steps that they did actually to, to hold Chris Cuomo accountable. Um, but I, I, I'm frustrated by the fact that we let ourselves believe, um, some people much more than others, that these people were like our saving grace in a time where we desperately needed some professionalism in a leadership role. And 
I think that number one shows how desperate we were for a figure like Joe Biden because he was so the antithesis of Trump, but also um, just from a per- pure personality perspective and, and, and calmness perspective. But it just shows that when you have somebody in a leadership position like Trump, you will trust like the fucking depths of human being and human kindness and like people who aren't good people at all um just because you're so hungry for somebody who looks like a leader like that's the damage i think that having a president like trump having an authoritarian leader having somebody who who tweets something and then sets off a media firestorm can can do to a society and i think that if any of us had listened to people at the beginning of the pandemic being like stop worshiping andrew cuomo like i think there wouldn't be a lot of shock as to where we are now and i think a lot of us myself included some days weren't listening i mean remember when people were like saying that cuomo should run for president like what the fuck <laughs> like all of our like all of our i remember my mom my aunts like a lot of like middle aged to older women were like making him a sex symbol. Yes. And we're like, we want him to be president. We want to date Andrew Cuomo. Like it was like a thing. It was like a whole social media frenzy around this, which is kind of ironic given the, the, what actually has happened. But um, I have a question for you guys and for, and we're not a question, kind of like a, a prompt to this, but I, I was reading about this today and I was wondering, like, do you think, because no, it did take CNN some time to make a decision on this, which I think is good. You should, they shouldn't just off people in a second. I think that that's probably a good thing. Um, even Fox News doesn't do that all the time. But but like when it comes to sexual misconduct, I feel like there is usually more like you're gone the next day, um, which I don't know if you should or shouldn't be. But given the allegation, I think with with Chris Cuomo, he was then there were allegations that came out last week against him. And I think that's what pushed this probably further along than it wouldn't have. Um, obviously, what he was doing for his brother, I think we can all say was corrupt given his 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 role in the world and in the media but like i think given the fact that then there was misconduct alleged towards him is what probably caused the powers that be at cnn to make a quicker decision than they were making potentially that's actually exactly how i interpreted it and thank you for making that point because i i didn't yeah. like but i interpreted it as they know he was complicit in sharing key information and leads to andrew cuomo's office right like there's text message proof of that but they were also like, well, it's family. And I'm sure this happens way more uh, than just these two um, in the media, um, probably worse so on the in the Fox News of the world. But so there was that that was like, we're going to have to suspend you to look into this. But then I think in, I think the second that sexual misconduct popped up, they were like, you're out, you're done. Like, yeah. this is just it's not worth us taking the hit to our reputation, considering they were probably one of the media outlets that Trump attacked the most during the last four years. Um, fake news, CNN was, I feel like, more prevalent than almost any other, you know, kind of like attack that yeah. he had around the media. So I agree. And I appreciate you making that point. I think this really highlights a problem with the media and politics in general and how they work in this country and how we ended up with somebody like Trump. He was kind of a two-bit celebrity before this. He wasn't a political figure. Uh, I don't even think he was that big of a celebrity in in the sense of like when you think of what a beloved celebrity in America is. I He was always kind of a butt of a joke, um, but he was popular and brash and fun to watch. 
And I think this is the same situation with Andrew Cuomo in a way. I mean, Kirk, you brought it up that like people were saying he should run for president. I mean, after only uh, I mean, I knew about Andrew Cuomo beforehand, but like he wasn't that popular. And all of a sudden he became super popular uh, all because he had some, you know, he was on the news every night. And all of a sudden everyone is saying, oh, he should run for, for president. He doesn't really have any political qualifications to uh, he's a journalist if he's a good journalist or bad journalist it doesn't matter but he doesn't have these qualifications and now we're seeing the same thing with ron DeSantis, where he gets spotlight and people say oh he should run for president and anytime anybody is getting some kind of spotlight in this country now there's this oh he should run for office or she should run for office and no stop they don't have any qualifications to do that and this highlights the problem with that is is Here's obviously a problematic man, and his brother is now problematic too, or has been problematic. Like, we should take a beat before we're like, let's get these people into office. It's the same way that people, Michelle Obama gave one speech and people shit their pants. You know, it was like, it was like Obama, Oprah, 2024. I was like, what are we doing? Like, Kirk, I'm smiling at you because I know you probably fucking posted that. But like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I probably did. <laughs> but it's just, I just she gave that one. I mean, that speech is iconic. But yeah, it absolutely, it absolutely is iconic. But, but I, I mean, it's the same thing with Michelle Obama. Like, should she run for office oh, because she? Oh yes, that's who I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, Oprah. I thought Oprah. Sorry, no. I'm sorry. I don't, about I don't mention. Too, I don't mention like. The, I don't mention. Oprah, the, gave, us, Oprah, Oprah. gave us Doctor Phil and Doctor Oz, and now fucking Doctor Oz is running for mm-hmm. office in Pennsylvania. Yeah, he's is, a really qualified oh, individual. <laughs> he's gonna make us all take homeopathy and fucking dick and large. He, he went off the deep end. He used to be not like that. Apparently, apparently, he really the fame bit the bullet. Him. Because they all they all want money, and and I know we sound like a fucking right wing Republican show right now, um, oh, but it. you know what? Let's let's all talk about something we can agree on. Erica, I know your headline is something where there's a very clear difference between the left and the right. Yeah, um, it is about abortions, <laughs> uh, but uh, more specifically, there is a case that is going on where the state of Mississippi has requested that the Supreme Court reverse or diminish slash gut to it's essentially not anything, um, the Roe v. Wade decision, which gives women the right to not be punished. I think it's excessively by the force of the government um, if they choose to get an abortion. And if essentially what Mississippi is saying we want you to remove that federal aspect, right? So right now it's kind of a blanket thing, but if they were to overturn it, it would say the states have full autonomy to make whatever decision on Roe v. Wade or on abortions, I should say. And so the big thing that's, I don't think we'll find out a decision until the summer, but right now we have, um, Trump's three judges, where it's uh, Barrett, Kavanaugh, and something with an A. I almost said Anthony, and I know it's not Anthony. <laughs> Is it Alito? Alito. Yes, Alito. Um, and then there's three semi-conservative judges that they think are also going to vote in favor of. 
So it's not, it's looking pretty bleak right now. Um, And I think that's just, it's terrifying for me as a woman, but I think, you know, it's a position that no one here can put themselves in, which is a woman who is in a vulnerable situation, whether that be at home or whether it be her partner or her own health or her own financial ability to raise a child. It's, it's so terrifying to think that you truly have no option. Um, and then God forbid, you know, pregnancies that were a result of some type of sexual abuse or sexual assault. Um, and it's just, it's frustrating because there will be states that obviously take a more liberal stance towards abortions. Um, I think they're projecting 22 states would switch to more aggressive abortion policy. And when you look at it, it is quite literally, you know, some spots in can or in Nevada um, and more conservative parts out West, not much, but then it is just like, fully painted the South going up through the Midwest and kind of finishing off in Michigan or in Minnesota. Um, So it's just, it's a terrifying place to be in for all of us as a country. Um, If you are listening to this and you know, someone who is pro-life, I really encourage you to um, have the conversation of what does pro-life truly look like to you? Um, Because Oftentimes, pro-life stops at the fetus or the little gooey baby. And after that, you know, it's either a burden to a state, to the state, or public enemy number one. I think you're you're dead on. And I think that that is one of the scariest things about it is where these laws are likely to take effect. In these, you know, quote-unquote flyover states, that I live in now, um, you know, this is specifically designed to limit their access to reproductive health care. And when you do that, people don't have the means to travel to New York, to travel to, you know, California, to travel to Pennsylvania or to travel to Oregon or, or any state where the risk might be high, but it's certainly not dire, like it's going to be in these states. And again, in these flyover states, you have people who are less likely to have a degree that is of higher education. So you have a bunch of people who aren't qualified to even make money, the way that our job market is, to make enough money to even travel to those states and pursue those services. And then you have a bunch of people who are already reliant on the government for a lot of services. And this is one area where it's still extremely costly to get an abortion anyway. I think a lot of people forget that, that it automatic already abortion has a cost barrier of, of you know, upwards of, of several hundred dollars. I believe. Bones, baby. You don't right. think I had that money on reserve? Like it's right. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, at 19, I didn't, I wouldn't have had $500 lying no. around. Yeah. I certainly would not. I, I think maybe I could ask my parents, but I'm not a common case at all. Right. right. And think about it. It's, it's, this is now 
lower income, people of lower levels of education, lower levels of healthcare accessibility, because we all know what rural hospitals look like. We've talked about it on this podcast. We all know what, you know, urban hospitals look like in some of these poorly funded states. Like we're just putting women into more dangerous situations. Women and people with uteruses, I should say. We're, we're just putting these people into more dangerous situations. And this is not at all going to stop any abortion care. Because if somebody really doesn't want to be pregnant and cannot afford to be pregnant, they will do whatever means necessary to make sure that doesn't happen. So to your point, Erica, how pro-life are you? I, I, I think you have to understand like so many of us, all four of us, I know, we feel totally helpless. Like what can you do to petition the Supreme Court? What can you do to yell at the Supreme Court? There's no legislative channel to leverage the Supreme Court. The only thing that you can do is vote in extremely progressive politicians who want to expand the court, put in term limits, change the number of justices, have people start fresh and clean, you know, but we're a long fucking way away from that. And there's going to be a lot of unsafe abortions that happen between now and then if Roe is totally overturned. So it's scary. It's really fucking scary. But like you said, Erica, the, the best place to start is probably just talking with people in your life. Cause like we have no control over the, over the judicial process right now. Yeah. Well, I was going to say even, I mean, it's unsafe abortions and I, and I, we could look this up again. I don't know how accurate this is, but I feel like it probably is. I've never looked it up. I just thought of it when you were talking, Paul, but like of the suicide rate of people who are pregnant, who don't have the means to get an abortion, like they're killing, I'm sure people are killing themselves or has happened. I mean, you know, so it's like how, to your question, like how pro-life can you possibly be? Mm-hmm. Killing, killing themselves or like even getting or, postpartum depression, yes. you know, like yeah. after you have the baby or like dying in childbirth, like the U S has one of the highest rates of mortality in the developed world. Like all of those right. things, you're, you're totally, especially women of color, especially women of color. Yeah. You're totally especially yeah. in the city of Philadelphia. Yeah. I think we need to, again, ask them what is pro-life? Like, where do you, where do you stop caring about lives? But the issue is if you are a young person and you are impregnated and you are desperate and you don't know what to do. The internet can tell you a whole bunch of horrible and dangerous things that you can do for very cheap. And if that is the only way that I know that I could get that to get rid of this child that I'm not ready to have, I think to a lot of people, it's a fate worse than death to have to be stuck with a child and have to be endure the stigma of pregnancy. Um, and it's just, it's, and also some people just don't want to have fucking kids and that's totally fine too. Like I, I know people whose parents have had multiple abortions before they decided to have them and their siblings. And it was because they said we were not ready to bring a child into this world, even though we're both employed, we're both married. It was not what we wanted for ourselves. And that is just as valid. Um, And I also think that it it is something that people should be open to discussing when they talk about the need for abortions and the the need for preventative care for women. And this really is a failing of the right wing and their own rhetoric 
why we're talking about this at all. If you want abortions to go down, then have better sex education in school. That stops teen pregnancy. Forcing people to carry babies to term does not stop teen pregnancy. Having better care for people who are impoverished, people who are homeless. Access to free contraception and education about that stuff. Exactly. And it's not the people who are pushing these laws that are going to be affected. Mm-hmm. No matter what, they're always going to still be able to get safe abortions because they're rich and they have that access. It's the people who are very poor and the, the predominantly people of color that are going to be the most affected. Um, and going back to my headline, I mean, this is really dark, um, but some of those white supremacist groups – in a way, they've actually said that they support abortion because they they think in their mind that a majority of the people getting abortions are people on the left and people of color. So although they, they claim to be pro-life, they think it's a, a, a good thing. So that's just highlights how much evil is, is on the side of people and who are trying to – it's just – it's incongruous – and it's it's out of touch with reality, and it it really shows that despite them saying they're pro life, like the right wing of this country really isn't in the way that they present themselves publicly. No, just eugenics in a different font. Exactly, that's exactly what it is. Uh, how they how they view it. Um, it's probably not cursive because I don't think they can do that. <laughs> it is. It's just. But Andrew, you're right. I believe the statistic is, is black women uh, are are five times as likely to to need abortion care than white women. So uh, being five times as likely and being like a, a percentage of the size of the total population, you know, five, six, seven percent of the population, um, but making up that much more likelihood, it just it shows that like there's. There's so much evil in, in these policies. There's so much long-term strategy, political strategy in these policies. Um, and that's terrifying. <laughs> that's terrifying. They would, you know. Mm. Kirk, what's your headline? I hope it's lighter. Uh. It It isn't lighter. Uh, <laughs> maybe it is. I, mean, I don't, I don't. It is, I mean, it's, it could, it, hopefully it will be lighter. Um, nothing has happened yet. Um, I was taking it to a little bit more overseas, our headline for today, um, which is, I'll read the literal headline first, which is the Ukraine's defense minister warns there will be a bloody massacre if Russia invades. So that's one of the things I've been keeping my eye on this week on the news is, um, and specifically we're recording this on a Tuesday. Um, today, there was developments with this. Um, basically, there's threats of Russia, um, you know, invading Ukraine. Um, with about like 100, 175,000 troops apparently on the go, ready to go across the border. And um, Biden today spoke with Putin on a two-hour teleconference um, where he kind of explained, you know, that U.S. is here to intervene if must be, which I thought was really interesting because um, a lot of people on the right continue to say that, you know, with the four years that we had Trump and his ability to speak and to work with foreign leaders um, to keep our country safe um, when I don't, a lot of these conversations I don't think were had in the same in the same way but um, one of the things that I found interesting that um, 
President Biden did say to him, he said, um, I'm looking you in the eyes and telling you as President Biden looked President Putin in the eye, he said that things we do not that things we did not do in 2014, we are prepared to do now um, in reference to what had happened in 2014 with with Russia and and invasion. Um, But I think that this is something that, um, you know, we don't, I think that typical Americans don't really think about beyond America a lot and then things that can happen in other countries that have ramifications for us. Um, And this is just one of those things. Um, Obviously, I think he's, he's speaking less about us invading physically as well or getting into a war, but more or less around sanctions and economic sanctions and stuff like that is what Biden was speaking about and not just us, you know, going to war with, with Russia, but just kind of putting a bit of a harsh stance out there, which I feel like people give a lot of, uh, of shit to Obama for not doing a lot, um, whether he did or didn't, that's, I guess, up for debate, but um, just seeing Biden speak, you know, to someone like Putin like that, I thought was interesting. It is interesting. And, and truly, I wish I had reviewed some of the story beforehand. I forgot. And I remember now that you said it in the text that you were going to do it, like, for all the getting along <laughs> that Trump did with Putin, and he talked about, I believe he used the phrase, he's my best friend or something like that. There was a series of bizarre comments he made about yeah. like Reuters reports that like the relationship between the U.S. and Russia is like lower than it was at the Cold War. <laughs> like that, That's how bad like things are right now. Um, and it is it will be interesting to see how parts of this play out um, because obviously, as we just saw with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, um, probably highlighted best for us during our lifetime is like there are real like human rights catastrophes that exist through war. I think it was, we've all seen it throughout our lifetimes. We've all seen conflicts, but like none of us were alive during Vietnam. Like none of us were alive during World War II. It was the first time we saw images so clearly, almost frankly live streamed, you know, of the the casualties of of war where there was no escaping it. And so it would be terrifying for Russia to continue to advance, you know, East and West. Um, And I don't know. I, it's something I think that, I would like more of a handle on even just so I can speak about it more than just through a lens of fear. But I don't know, Andrew, you're basically Russian, I feel like. So <laughs> Hungary is unwell. <laughs> it, they they really are. Um yeah, I feel like we lost four years of diplomacy with Trump. And it, Kirk, you bring up a good point that the Trump presidency didn't mean that we had better relations with um, Putin and Russia. I, I think Trump was too stupid to realize that these authoritarian leaders that he was cozying up to didn't like him and were only using him for their own ends. It's not like they were friends, no matter what Trump thought. Um, and Putin's goal is just to destabilize America and its allies. Uh, He doesn't care one way or another about us. It's just that we're, he sees us as an existential threat to his rule of Russia. Um, And that is an area of the world that is incredibly important geopolitically, you know, that corridor between Europe and Russia and Asia and unfortunately, in our hyper-capitalist, fossil fuel-run world, that's the case. And it, you know, today, there was news about 
how our diplomats are not going to be going to the Beijing Olympics. Um, but we were fully on board with going to the Sochi Olympics in 2014 while they were actively attacking the Ukraine. And I, I don't know enough about it to understand why we treat Russia with such kid gloves. Um, and, and, but we do. And even during Obama's presidency, we certainly did. We hardly ever heard about Russia and all throughout that time, they've been, Putin has been slowly building up their influence and their power. And to the point where I, I, you know, we, we don't know all the details, but they did interfere with our elections in the last two elections, especially in 2016, to some extent. And to have a nation do that to us is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the things, I mean, with this too, I know, and again, I don't know enough about, I think a lot of us, enough, a lot, not enough of us know about this area of expertise, but um, I do know, and I, and I and I hope one of you might know more than I do, but I do remember that there was um, some of Biden's um, key national security nominations that were being held up in the Senate. And that was happening in, in the in the summer via Republicans, I think, holding up who he wanted to nominate for the roles of, of national security. Um, and I don't know if that's still a thing that we could look, but I think that that would be interesting to see. I think, and I was reading again today that apparently, I mean, obviously an invasion of by Russia anywhere would be a bad thing for Biden on paper. So like, is it something that they would Republicans be happy to see that would, you know, they're there all the time. There was like eight or nine senators, I think in, in, um, they went to, I think over the summer, they went to Russia or Moscow for like, um, over 4th of July for like a holiday thing. Like they're, they're always, you know, the Republicans are always, I still think having a foot in that, in that world because of Trump. Um, so it'd be interesting. I don't know. I would I have to look into that, but I think that if, if there, what it would, would Republicans really care because it would look bad for Biden for this to happen. Right. <clears throat> Republicans who, you know, supported the end of Afghanistan until it was Biden trying to end the war in Afghanistan. Right. Right. <laughs> now it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. It's all, I mean, I was watching something today and it was like, and a Republican brought it up that it was a bad thing. And everyone else in the panel was like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> why is this a bad, why is this still used as a bad thing? Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. And obviously there's, there's cynicism and, and there's, there's, you know, politicking on the democratic side as well. Yeah. You know, like there's, I think COVID was a great example of where we, we blamed Trump for a lot of things, <clears throat> not that it wasn't justified, but now a lot of Democrats are like turning the other way at Biden. And I'm not saying that those situations are at all equivalent. I think like somebody being a mass denier in office and somebody, you know, being like a proponent of vaccines in office, like I think are two very different things. Um, but just in general, the level of, of ways that like Democrats hold people to account versus Republicans hold people to account. The, the Republican bias to me is almost like so absurdly obvious that no matter what happens with with Putin, Ukraine and, and, and the United States, somehow it will be Joe Biden's fault for not being tough enough or being too tough or engaging in conflicts we don't need to, as if the Republican Party has any amount of like diplomatic skills whatsoever, you know, like like Sarah Palin can see Russia from her house is about the extent um, of which, uh, you know, they have skills in terms of diplomacy. So um, it will definitely be an interesting story to follow. But with that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will say pack it up. 
All right, and welcome back. This is our final segment of the episode where we say pack it up to a person, organization, or somebody in pop culture that needs to pipe it down and pack it up. I'm going to go first because my pack it up is a little bit boring, but I think that it is important. There was an article in the New York Times, which is the only newspaper that's not a local newspaper that I subscribe to. And the title of the article was something to the effect of, is your blood pressure rising? Scientists are saying that Americans are stressed after the pandemic. Number one, no shit. And and do we really need to report on this anymore, right? But I gave it a chance. I wasn't just going to say pack it up to the headline. I was like, all right, New York Times, like, what's your deal? Whatever. Open it up. And it is about the Cleveland Clinic and Quest Diagnostics. The Cleveland Clinic, if you don't know, is like one of those big clinics like that will treat like any and all disease of like whatever you need if you're a qualifying patient that has like rare medical disorders. Um, there's a couple different versions of those that exist like throughout the United States. The Cleveland Clinic is, is, is I believe like highly notorious for the work that they do with childhood cancer. Um, and Quest Diagnostics is just like where you can go and get like a blood or drug test for your job. Um, so these two organizations came together and they examined hundreds of thousands of people and people's blood pressure over the past you know, two years. Um, and obviously there were elevated blood pressure levels and people are like at like a peak of, of, of their blood pressure that they have never been at before. I think that's obvious even just from the way that I'm speaking right now. Like all of us have endured this wild level of trauma that we have never endured before. Um, the reason that I'm saying pack it up to this segment though <laughs> is because Data on the race of those hundreds of thousands of people was only available for 6% of the total people conducted in the study. And I just feel (laughs) that at the time where we white people (laughs) and white healthcare professionals are attempting to listen to people of color a bit more, for you to publish a study about people and their livelihoods and their blood pressure and how that's tied to a bunch of other medical conditions and makes them more susceptible to succumbing to COVID. Um, Like for you to not even have data on race just feels wildly irresponsible at this point um, in, in where we were and where we have been throughout the last two years. So not only is the New York Times stupid for, you know, publishing this article in the first place um, and scaring a bunch of people while also making a bunch of people be like, no shit, this year has been stressful. Fuck you to the Cleveland Clinic and Quest Diagnostics for the thousands of resources that they have where they did not track the race of patients. And the biggest fuck you I want to say is to this doctor who was quoted in the article, Dr. Laffin, appropriately named. Um, He said, Americans must pay greater attention to their overall health and the management of underlying medical conditions that they have incurred during the pandemic. Okay, Uh, number one, like, we live in a world like where these clinicians and these pediatricians and these doctors and these researchers are just cold. They are clinical. They are calculated. And just to put it back on us is the thing that makes me most frustrated because you're now putting theories out into the world. You are judging Americans in the way that they're living their lives without, you know, giving any credit to the fact that like we as a people have endured a stupid amount of trauma. And also your worthless ass study doesn't even tell which which groups are at risk and which groups are less at risk. We know in general, like people 
who are more susceptible to COVID are people with underlying health conditions. But he was talking about the fact that this is going to create a national issue forever if people don't get their blood pressure back down. So it was like, oh, well, people aren't leaving their homes or people aren't leaving this. And I was just like tired of being fucking blamed when in general, like one of the main reasons that we have an issue with COVID right now is because doctors have deteriorated trust in so many people and politicians have deteriorated trust in doctors, which has deteriorated trust in so many people. Like you're part of this fucking problem. So just when I read things that say that it's Americans who need to pay better attention to their overall health. Yeah, no shit. I said, but like, why not address any amount of the systemic factors that like led to this issue in the first place? Like why not talk about the fact that like people had to stay home because a government was, or a government was mismanaging a pandemic why not talk about the fact that like you as doctors oftentimes made like stupid ass decisions around the use of masks, you know, and told us we did need them. We didn't need them. We do need them. Like you're just as much as at fault as we are for ordering McDonald's three nights a week. And fuck you if you don't believe it. And fuck you for not taking race into account, because I, I feel like that should be the bare minimum of scientific threshold that we post right now. And it should especially be the bare minimum that the New York Times can, can do to call that out in at least the fucking headline. So pack it up to the New York Times, pack it up to the Cleveland Clinic and pack it up to Quest Diagnostics. I've never failed a drug test with you, but if I ever do, I am fully blaming you for that. Oh <laughs> and I think, wait, one thing we need to add to that is not only are they saying it's our fault, but then like so many people don't even have health insurance because they can't get fucking health insurance. So how would you like them to go to the doctor? And our schools are poorly funded. So nobody's teaching people anything about the basics of health. Of health. Like I just- And yeah. And the food they're eating in the schools, not to tell, tell Michelle Obama, but- Do you remember um, when Michelle Obama tried to have like slightly better school yeah. lunches and the right wing went fucking bananas over it? It's communism. They lost their shit. Yeah, it was it was communism. The fact that she wanted to put turnips in school, like yeah, we we would much turnips. rather have literal children, fucking seven year olds, run up debt with their school lunches than actually feed them something that's healthy. And and then of course the right wing talking point is now, oh well, just don't be fat and you won't die of COVID. It's like, well, stop fucking feeding chicken nuggets and pizza to children in school because you're too cheap to give them some fucking lettuce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. Also, I think it is insane that as children we were taught to A, drink a whole glass of milk. And B, that the most like the most significant part of your diet should be bread. And now they're kind of like, oh, why is everyone overweight? Why is there an issue with diabetes? It's like, for one thing, you were per- pushing the wildest diet to us as children. Remember the milk camp? Remember the milk campaign? The Got Milk campaign? When like, celebrities were just endorsing milk for a decade? That's something we need to unpack one day. <laughs> like, you, like, Ted Cruz, do not tell me not to drink milk when you are taking money from the dairy packs. Like that, like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and like vaguely sexual and weird, but targeted towards children. Michael Phelps, okay. Michael Phelps looked great in the, in the Got Milk campaign. I remember my high school had Serena Williams in the library. <laughs> there. Oh, the Got Milk guy. <laughs> she, was, she was held captive. <laughs> yes, in the suburban high school in San Diego. Yeah, pack it up, New York Times. Pack it up, um, New York Times. Yeah, they barely had anything to do with it. But um, Andrew, what are you packing up this week? I think we should pack up Alec Baldwin. 
<laughs> Eric is doing the finger guns, which is incredibly appropriate for this segment. <gasps> I got to go. Oh, God. So you might argue on this we, segment because I don't think I'm telling you. Fight? Keep going. Hold on. Let me pour more wine. Pour my we, milk. We've talked about his wife before on this podcast, but we have not talked about Alec. And Alec has a history of being a shitbag. Obviously, with calling his daughter, what was it, an ugly pig or something? Yes. And just generally making dumbass comments and being a, a rich white Hollywood man. Um, but I'm sure we all have heard the story by now that he shot a, a cinematographer, the director of photography on the movie that he was filming um, over the summer. And it is a tragedy. And I, we don't want to unpack like who's to blame here or anything like that, because there's so many things that went wrong on that movie set that led to that incident happening. And there's so many different people that could have prevented that accident from happening. It's not just Alec Baldwin. However, this is a low budget movie and Alec Baldwin was the star power on that movie. He's also a producer on that movie and he is a rich, powerful, established member of the Hollywood elite. And he has the ability to sit down with George Stephanopoulos and do an interview to try to clear his name from all of this when no one else on that set has that ability. And certainly the cinematographer who is now dead doesn't have that ability and her family doesn't have that ability. And he sat down for this interview and said a whole bunch of shit. But the thing that specifically he said is Stephanopoulos asked, do you feel guilt? And he said, no, no, I might've killed myself if I thought I was responsible. And I don't say that lightly. And he said that it wasn't, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said in a lot of different ways that he was not responsible for what happened. And I think that's bullshit. Now there's an armorer on set. There is a, um, assistant director on set and there's multiple people who are supposed to check a weapon but he is the last person in that chain of custody that had the weapon and this wasn't even filming so they didn't need the gun to go off and he went through the motions of cocking the gun and this was all low budget and people had already walked off the set of this film for the safety procedures that were not being followed because they were cutting corners at every single turn. And he has all the money and he's a, a producer on this film. Um, he should know better. He's been in the industry forever. So at the very least, he should have said, hey, we should be doing things differently. If not, um, actually putting more money into the film or taking a lower salary or just making sure that the set is safe before they go to film. And they weren't even filming. They were just doing a rehearsal and he, he shot her. So I, I think after, you know, it's, it's strike what, like five for this dude, like just, we don't need him anymore. There's plenty of other better actors in Hollywood. He's fully morphed into his character from 30 rock. So Yes, exactly. That was supposed to be a, a joke and a parody, and he's literally that person. I have a legal note. <laughs> no, um, no, not the attorney, not the podcast attorney. Oh God! <laughs> so, so he claims he did not shoot the trigger. I have to put out there. Pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. <laughs> he did say he did not pull the trigger. <laughs> Seriously. Anyway, Andrew, I agree with packing him up because I think he's a million he's done a million things wrong and i honestly think his portrayal of donald trump was even wrong but um i 
I'm a little bit like, I don't know, I'm going back and forth on this just because I know like the armor apparently was very inexperienced and and shouldn't have, so she didn't, or they, I don't know, I don't know what their gender was, but they didn't um, have the experience to be doing what they're doing. I think there's, I think he plays a role in it, but I don't, I kind of liked how honest he was about saying he didn't feel guilt because I mean, if I don't know, I, I, I didn't, to me, it didn't come off as like harsh and like crude then I think it did to a lot of people and I get why it would, and especially to their family, the person's family, I'm sure it does. But like, if he doesn't feel guilt because he, he believes that he was not the one who caused this to happen. But then I also now hearing what you had to say, I kind of understand you're saying his role in the film more so than just being the actor there. Um, given everything else that was happening from a safety protocol, he should have had more, you know, had done more. So he did touch on that because George Stephanopoulos asked him about that. And he says, I, I wasn't the producer responsible for hiring the armorer. And then he went on to say he basically assumed because she was hired that she was qualified to be in that position. And we we don't know the makeup of the set. And there's a lot of unknowns and who had power in that structure or not. But it is it to me, the the pack it up moment is the fact that he had this interview at all. And I think there could be something to be said for mental health after this is all over and like learning how to, you know, not blame yourself for things like this. But even so, this seems like not something you should be doing. And on a, on a, a proper movie set with the correct funding, everybody should have had firearms training. And yes, it isn't his fault that that live ammunition ended up in that gun. The courts will figure that out, hopefully, about whose fault that was. But I think it's a greater point about, you know, we're we're in a time where there's all these uh, the IATSE, which is an an industry um, union for uh, videographers, cinematographers, grip crew, electricians, all that, like basically the crew of films, the production crew, um, were on strike recently. There's been writer strikes in the past. Like this is an ongoing problem with Hollywood where they work 10, 12, 16 hour days, six days, seven days a week. They run back to back. They, you know, they have gigantic budgets, but it's really expensive to make movies. So they try to wring every single dollar out of it. And he is somebody who has that power in Hollywood to change those practices. And then he goes and says, well, it's not my fault that, you know, an inexperienced armor was hired and it's not my fault that safety on set was bad to the point where people were walking off set that he would have known about for sure. And it's not my fault that other people were dicking around on set and basically taking these guns out on their free time and shooting them, you know, target shooting with them. And, and that's how this happened. And eventually, you know, the buck has to stop somewhere and he's the most famous person and showing some humility would be nice. The good thing that we got out of this is that Ilaria uh, deleted her Twitter. So, <laughs> oh, and Alec just did too. I think it was yesterday or today. Incredible. I think maybe but yeah, I will say, Andrew, I agree to you to the point that Alec Baldwin could have been the one who created positive impacts within the industry. Had he taken ownership? And in my opinion, guilty people will not like people who are truly guilty and know that they've done something, like know that they have been the cause of something bad happening will very rarely say hey that was on me like this was the mistake made and this is how we can all work together to make sure this doesn't happen again 
that is why I'm like fully assuming guilt upon with um, Alec Baldwin's part. Also, why is he giving an interview one month after this yeah. happened? Come on. He has the pull to do it. Right. Exactly. Not to, you know, yeah. quote, quote, Megan McCain, but she said that ABC should know better and Alec Baldwin should know better, but he has a pattern of disrespect and <laughs> call me crazy. Call it 2022. Call you Megan McCain is what I'll call you. Call me Megan McCain. <laughs> call me Megan McCain, mama. <laughs> Not the daughter of the late great. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> Kirk, what are you packing up? This okay, well, that's actually a great um, transition because, like, honestly, I had a full list. I had a list, right? I had, I had future senator of my home state, Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz, and I didn't do him. <laughs> I had um, Megan McCain, actually, because we've obviously been on a break for a while, and Megan McCain has since lost her job at the Iconic View. And um, so not her, but, but thanks that she's joining us today. And um, I also was then going to do Colton Underwood, which we've done before, but I think we should stick away from him. And there was another gay that's making news again, Jesse Smollett. You know, the boy who called who cried hate crime. He's back in the news today. But instead of any of those, we're going to go back to a favorite of mine, a close friend, a girl I can call when I need her. Candy O, good old Candace Owens. So <laughs> there's not one thing to point to here. I think like she, you know, this is just every day she says the asinine things. And I wanted to just do a nice little recap of things she's done while we've been off air. No, no, no. <laughs> Nobody here wants this. So, oh, I want it. I'm no, so ready. We'll just go down down the list. So, oh, Erica, tell Sandy to close her ears. So, one was she compared child vaccination efforts to Hitler and Stalin youth programs, which is a personal fave of mine. Um, on the note of vaccination, she was also seen at Madison Square Garden recently, where you have to be vaccinated to go inside, and she was not wearing a mask, and she was physically inside, and she keeps pushing this narrative of that she's not vaccinated and that you shouldn't get vaccinated if you don't want to, but she was in a place where you must be vaccinated. So not saying she's vaccinated, but saying she's vaccinated. And then um, to bring it back to Andrew's unpacking, um, she asked for Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Andrew might agree with this one. Um, she asked for Alec Baldwin to be arrested after this accident, obviously. Her tweet, which I think Andrew probably won't fully agree with. I'm just kidding. She said, is there any reason in particular that Alec Baldwin hasn't been arrested yet? Haven't we learned that even when accidents happen with guns, the person on the other end of the gun is arrested for manslaughter? Amber Geiger was arrested within three days. Amber Geiger is the police officer who murdered Botham Jean, if you remember, in October of 2019 in in their home. Mm -hmm. So she was comparing Alec Baldwin's accidental, I don't want to say murder, but the death of of that woman to the death of Botham Jean in Amber Geiger's case, getting arrested as she should have. And then I think she was pretty much convicted, correct? Yes. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's an all-time fave tweet um a few more um she asked to have the united states invade australia to save those who are suppressed under a totalitarian regime because that one that one made by news yeah yes. so that's a good one you know she because if you go to australia right now every single person will ask you to leave america not for america to come there and save them <laughs> so I think that's crazy. And then um, my favorite is not something she did, but something that happened to her, which I think is karma. Um, She had, I think, a judge tossed out a suit by her over a Facebook fact check. So she was getting, you know, those Facebook fact checks on her content that was saying, this is fake news. This is not real. This is um, spreading lies, misinformation, all that kind of stuff. And she she filed um, to a Delaware court and obviously the judge tossed it out, which I think is kind of beautiful. And that's my wrap up of Candace Owens. And I'm actually, you know, I don't even want her to pack it up. I want her to keep going. That's <laughs> candy work, mama. We love you. <laughs> yeah. 
I can't. The only Candace I stand is drive back. Like a, um, I thought so, you were going to say Candace Beer. I Candace Cameron you were Beer. Going to do, and I was like, <laughs> she's next week. She was going to be my Listen, backup. Not gonna lie. Everybody's really unhinged recently, but Candace Owens really has taken it to another level. Erica, what's your backing up this week? Mine, I stole from Kirk. <gasps> Briefly mentioned. Oh. Mine is Mr. Travis Scott. Oh. The inventor of the Trappy Patty, which was a really funny nickname for his McDonald's meal. <laughs> <laughs> And I just wanted to finally say that out loud because I was really proud of myself for coming up with it. Um, But I digress. I'm sure most listeners, TM, know that um, Travis Scott a few weeks ago had his Astroworld concert. And he, after Drake performs, he comes on and he encourages this crowd of tens of thousands i'm sure to run up to the stage um i i actually haven't seen the uh last confirmed death count but i know there was a confirmed um i think it's nine now which is insane to think about um no, it's 10. I just see it. I, just yeah, there was, see it. I know the, the little boy who was in hospital after, who's nine years old. And those last two, the, the, the last two, because eight, I think, was the death count from that day. Those yeah. last two died weeks later in the hospital. Like, to the suffering they had to go through. So the last horrible individual to die was nine-year-old Ezra Blount. And I think they had a, a parent of one of the victims speak And she said, you know, my daughter never asked for anything. She was a good kid, you know, never like worked hard, great student. And the only thing she asked for was tickets like to this concert. And we, you know, she kind of said like, you know, it was expensive, but she really wanted to do this for her daughter. Um, And then she dies attending this concert. And I think first and foremost, I don't care what anybody says, there are videos from angles upon angles that show that people were literally screaming for him to stop the show um before far before he ended up stopping the show and also that he has a documented history of doing this he has literally been arrested and tried for doing this exact same thing um and a it shows complete ignorance, complete disregard for human life, but also a just complete, like someone like that has no right to have access to everything that he has access to. And I know I love shitting on the Kardashian Jenners. So this is cathartic for me, but Kylie Jenner and the entire Jenner Kardashian clan did next to nothing regarding it. Even that night, like you can there's a video of her at Astroworld and it's, you know, probably her dancing or whatever. And then hours later, after these people have died, she's plugging whatever business venture she has going on. And it's like the absolute disconnect to these people who love you and support you and who have completely made your career. 
to only see them as objects and to say, and almost like dogs where you tell them to come and you don't care what happens when they do. Um, he's a piece of shit. My esthetician thinks he worships demons. I think I might agree with the bitch. And <laughs> I can't legally say that maybe, which is why I might agree with the bitch. But that's to say, Travis Scott can take him and his crew and all of his yes men and his garbage ass fucking lyrics and put it in the tiniest little Kylie cosmetics bag and pack it the fuck up. That was great. That was great. Also, what kind of pussy ass bitch gets knocked out by half a Zan? <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> what, did, what did you just say? Paul, it's a lyric. Oh, um, oh. Most I don't really listen yes, to Sorry, Scott. I'm more of on. I'm on the baby train. Oh, <laughs> we could have included him in this too. Actually, this is a kind of particular interest to me because I am a a metalhead. With the the pasty like the white pop. skin. I was like, don't lie on this part. I'm I'm an elder metalhead now. I don't think there's younger metalheads. Actually, I'm just gonna put the <laughs> So you might be the youth. Period. <laughs> I have been to concerts that have been stopped because yes. they got too violent or somebody yeah. fell. And, and and like an actual like full on like metal concert where people are violent. It is a mosh pit. The whole place is going nuts. And the band in the middle stops and says, pull that person up or that person clearly is passed out or needs water. Um, I have seen band members throw water out to somebody in the crowd like this is in clubs that are really small and super dark and like claustrophobic and they were able to tell they were able to see out into the crowd and see something was wrong part of the performer's responsibility speaking about powerful people with responsibilities like alec is to see what's going on with the crowd like you are what is making the crowd do what they're doing like it's it's a completely like leader follower dynamic. And like you said, Erica, Travis Scott has a whole history of amping people up to the point where it gets dangerous at concerts on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like he's doing it because he knows they're going to do that as a performer at that level. You know what the crowd, how the crowd is going to respond to you in certain ways. And I've seen that at metal shows of people being irresponsible with that power, but also most bands that I've seen being responsible with it, stopping performances in, in a setting that I think most people would think, Oh, that's a really violent show. Like, you know, that's, that's going to be the way it is. Even at like hardcore shows, like they stop and, and protect people. I mean, I've been in pits where I have fallen and someone else has pulled me up. Like it's just a completely different. Did you have your life alert on? (laughs) <laughs> I have fallen into armpits as well, but I kind of liked it. I, that's 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 a whole different packet up, Kirk. Sorry. Like we've hit the theme of this episode, right? Like we've hit the theme of like so many issues that we've had in in season one and season two, and now in season three, it's problematic men. <laughs> like we have covered Chris Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo. The politicians funding the battle of Roe versus Wade, Brett Kavanaugh, as one. The Patriot Front, Charles Lindbergh, 
Henry Ford, Vladimir Putin, Alec Baldwin, Travis Scott, the people who write for the New York Times. Candace Owens has the same amount of audacity and ignorance as a man. But that's what I mean. It's it, And then we, we've hit the cusp of this in that you have people like Candace Owens screaming about what happened to manly men, what happened to people who did what we just covered is all a result of manly men. Like what we just talked about is the reason why men need to change. Like every single man that we have mentioned throughout the course of this podcast has the opportunity to quite frankly, not be a dick, but they use branding, they use storytelling, they use brotherly camaraderie, they use, you know, diplomatic pressure, whatever, whatever man we talked about, you know, their connections with the media and the Alec Baldwin case to influence idiots like Candace Owens to then spout their nonsense. And so I just, I, I think like, whether it was in our packet up or our headlines, the theme of the show is problematic men. Like that's, that's what this is. And, and that's something that we need to tear down, not on the course of this podcast, but something that we all need to be able to talk about comfortably with people around us without alienating them. Right. And we didn't probably give you the best strategies for not alienating people um, today, but we, hopefully this, this helps you uncover or unpack a certain issue or error that we have, but took us a long time to get to a theme, but we got there. <laughs> and it's, it's frustrating. And in all of these cases, it's people who have control over the situation and knowingly push it too far or have control over the situation and could have prevented something bad from happening long before it ever happened. Yep. I'm going to give you guys all a key takeaway to the listeners. TM scam him and take his money, sis. <laughs> Well, that has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Please feel free to share this episode with a couple of friends. Let us know how you felt about it on Instagram. Um, you can reach out to me at It's Paul Warren. That's where I'll be posting this stuff now from now on. But also um, feel free to reach out to Erica, to Kirk, and to Andrew. I'll tag them on the post the day that um, this episode appears. But thank you all so much for listening. We hope you are ready for the ride that is going to be season three. We will have headlines. We will have deep dives. Um, and we will certainly end every episode with a cathartic pack it up. So talk to y'all soon. Yeah.